Okay, so John, using only the things you currently own, if you had to dispose of a body at very short notice, how would you do it? Good question, Harry, and one that I've given a lot of thought to over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when the slow-acting poison finally does take its effect on you... Uh, Just a quick thought. If this episode gets like loads of listens, yeah. we know the government's tuning in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point, yeah. <laughs> we better set off some alarm bells there. <laughs> I'm going to have to change my whole strategy now. Yeah. I'll screw it. I mean, I think I've got all the tools I need right here. I think it's always good to kind of dispose of the body as food in some way. Sure, yeah. So I think I would uh, use a cheese grater and turn you, I mean my victim, into <laughs> into fish flakes and feed them to the goldfish. Wow, that would take a very long time. Yeah, you've got, that's the thing. That's the problem. That's why most murders get solved, because the criminals, they rush. You've got to take your time. Yeah, okay. Now, how often do you need to buy a new tub of fish food? About once every four months. About once every four months. Yeah. And the contents of that fish tub, it's not big, not is cute. it? No, okay. Like, I, how, how much does it weigh? Am I, I identifying a floor? Yeah. <laughs> Probably several <laughs> hundred Jews, yeah. You might be at it your whole life. Just get loads of fish. Get some pep piranha. There you go, yeah. Pep piranha. Yeah. Yeah. And there you go, exactly. I'll, I'll prepare by getting, getting a bunch of tropical fish that are very hungry. Yeah. Yeah, do it that way. Yeah, that yeah. works. Thank you. You've just become the agents in your own demise. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where today we are pitching prequels, sequels, and spin-offs to Fargo. We'll also be pitching some drinking games and hearing from my listeners with their listener submissions. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about some of our favourite moments in the form of a plot summary, just to get you all um, up to speed on the film. So I'm Harry, the host with the most free time on his hands. <laughs> and joining me, as always, the host with the job that works him to death, but always allows him to buy all the beers. It's John Lucas. Oh, thank you. Oh, was that because we had to reschedule? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was some kind of plot thing. Like, did characters in this film have time on their hands? Like, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I picked this one. I guess... These these won't always be thematic. Don't, no, ask, don't ask that much of me. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, they're already starting to stretch a little. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to, like, 100 episodes from now and you're completely bone dry. Like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I guess I before we start talking about the plot summary, I need to open with a, with a formal apology. Because um, I have broken the rules of this podcast, as Harry informed me. Oh, yeah. I chose this film, Fargo, because I think it's fantastic. I really, really like it. And it's one I've wanted to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was aware that there was a TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. I have not seen it. Uh, but I kind of assumed that it was fairly, you know, like a, a spin-off in name only, basically. Yeah. I thought it was probably a, a fairly loose adaptation because none of the original cast were in it. But no, I got a very terse text message. <laughs> for those who don't know Harry, one constant bone of contention is in our friendship is that Harry sends very, like, aggressive text messages, very blunt text messages. I don't hold back. I'm not good at not being blunt. Yeah, you are very... So I just, let me see if I can... I'll read it out. So I'll go on. <laughs> well, yeah, this well. is what I have to deal with, like... Yeah. Having now watched this film, I, I get this text out of the blue, by the way, completely out of the blue, like, yesterday. <laughs> I like how you've, you, you, you've got the tone of voice I intended perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, <laughs> it's impossible not to. <laughs> Having now watched this film and looked into what the TV show is, I would have vetoed this choice. I thought the show was a straight remake, not the spin-off that it is. That's not to say I didn't enjoy the film, though. <laughs> a little bit of sugar at the end. Yeah. 
And there's that, you know, and my, my, I think my text message tone is a lot more, like, apologetic and, you know, like, oh, I'm really sorry, like, well... Well, you know. wait, 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 let's, let's keep this fair, shall okay, we? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the TV show either, but I have thought it was very loose spin-off with none of the same characters. Plus, it's not directed by the Coen brothers. It seems distant enough to me, but I don't know very much about it. See, a little more conciliatory, you know, open to being wrong. You're like, it's a spin-off of a different set of characters each season, which has so far always been set in, I think, Minnesota and North Dakota. It is produced by the Coen brothers. Wikipedia says it has loose connections to the film's story and is within the same fictional universe. Which, fair. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, so yeah. Well, like, I, I, I already know that the story that I have written mm-hmm. directly contradicts the TV show. Fair enough, okay. Well, I... I'm the universe. That's not really what I want to do because I don't want to like one day do Terminator One first thing that comes to mind, and then just sure. be like, okay, well now we're going to redo Terminator Two because sure. I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to. Don't want anybody to ever think that I can do a better job. That, that we can do a better job at writing a film than the actual film filmmakers themselves. Sure, that's I don't fair. ever want to try and redo somebody else's work. That's fine, and you know, there's other podcasts that, do, that look at existing yeah. sequels, etc. So. No, absolutely, that's fine. And it's not something I want to get into the habit of either. But this was a film I really, really wanted to talk about. So I did I did stretch the rules a little bit. And so anyone listening who, you know, is like, I'm never listening to you again. You've broken your, <laughs> you've broken your one conceit. I, I do apologise. And yeah. I hope you'll come back to us. Mm-hmm. So this film, mm-hmm. what did you think? I uh, thought it was really interesting. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Quite enjoyed it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it really kept my attention. It's got a lot going on. Mm. And I... I didn't know what to think of it, really. Mm-hmm. I think that partly what inspired the mood of that text was <laughs> later on looking into how much of a true story it was. Oh, yeah. That's... And then finding out that it's just, it's not at all. No. Oh, did that annoy you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, initially it did, yeah. yeah. That's um, a it... classic Coen Brothers, like, troll move, though. Like... It's a blatant lie. <laughs> yeah, but like, that, I love that. <laughs> it's, it's like, but what, so what? Who cares? Like... It's, it's not even like it, it was a lie that you could have... You could have guessed earlier. It wasn't like told in a humorous way. Mm. Um, it's like, yep, this is based on a true story, and we tried to tell it honestly. So you know, the the survivors all wanted their names changed for privacy mm-hmm. reasons, and fair enough. So we've done that. Yeah. No, the whole thing's bullshit. Yeah, it's a story. But I, <laughs> I love that. It's a, it's such a like it's such a. Troll. I've, got, I've come around to it now, but like when yeah. I first heard that, I was like, well, that changes everything. Oh. That's not fair. <laughs> you, like, I want to watch the documentary. I want to read all about it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even that. I think there's, there were there were some bits that, that I didn't quite understand. Oh, I, I see. And I didn't really know where it was going with. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end of the film and I still hadn't worked it out. Sure. And so I was like, this film deserves me to actually understand what's going on. Sure. Um, I can see that this is a really good film and I have enjoyed it. I just... What was uh, William H. Macy's thing? What, okay. what, what was he doing? What was this business deal he was doing with his father-in-law? I, I didn't understand any of that. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I, didn't, well, I didn't clock in the film that he was in debt. Oh, okay. That's established fairly early on, but... Yeah, I guess I must have missed that at the start. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, fairly important detail, but yeah. you know, it's easily done, it happens. I got the, like, he needed the money. Yeah, sure. Or whatever, but I thought it was just for his life. Hmm. Well, this is... It's, it's a very Coen Brothers film thing to do. We've previously... I think the only Coen Brothers film we've done is The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. which also we both loved, obviously. Mm. We'll definitely be doing more. But I think they're very good at doing films that are deceptively complicated, mm-hmm. but also, even if you don't pick up on it, every reason... like. The Big Lebowski is really convoluted. Like, the actual plot is so convoluted. Yeah. But it doesn't matter, because the plot is irrelevant. I think that's what I said in the episode. Like, mm-hmm. the plot doesn't matter. The fun of it is just spending time with those characters. Yeah. And even though this is obviously a bit more dark, I think it's 
also the case that the plot isn't really the main... Like, the mechanics of the plot aren't really what mm. matters. Like, if anything, the the whole thing gets wrapped up very quickly and almost quite underwhelmingly. Like, she just finds him and arrests him. You know what mm. I mean? Like, obviously yeah. it's got the iconic stuff of the wood chipper that we'll talk about, but, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's not like it's a big whodunit kind of situation or, mm. you know, it, it's, it's fairly open and shut, but it's such a fun ride, I think. Mm. Another thing that we often argue about is um, my unwillingness on our bonus show, Beyond Beyond the Box Sets. Mm-hmm. I never give out tens. Yeah, I never. I, I'm not. You're. You're. This would have been a ten for you. I would say this is as close to a perfect movie as I think we've done. Really? I really, really. You think, think this is one? Of the, this is potentially the best movie we've done in the whole hundred and forty something episodes. I think it's up is it, there. Is, is it better than Misery? I would say yeah. I mean, I love Misery because I, I remember Misery. For some reason, it reminded me of it. I don't snow. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, know, um, I think the, 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 quite, like, the accents aren't a million miles away as well. I, was, yeah. I remember you saying in Misery that like that's one of the iconic roles. Yeah. That's one of the best roles ever, or something. Yeah. And fair enough. Mm-hmm. But you think this is? One of I the best really do. I really. What? What? Better would you, than what, Sausage Party. What would you improve about this? <laughs> what would you change? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think the only things I didn't like about it during were things that were kind of made okay at the end when I found out it wasn't a true story. Okay. How do you mean? Because when they were saying at the start, like, yeah, we changed people's names to mm. be respectful and mm. respectful of the dead and stuff like that, and then. A lot of stuff they were doing with the accent felt very comical. Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it is, it is. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this, this feels insensitive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think if it was a true and, story, and it so might seem a little insensitive, yeah. Yeah, and so it took me a bit to get past that. And yeah. it's only now in hindsight that I can kind of enjoy that. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, at the time, I didn't really find many things funny because I was like, is this okay? <laughs> interesting, interesting. I had no such... I mean, I knew it wasn't true. I've seen this film at least five or six times before. Mm. I love it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> By the way, congratulations to us. We are about five, seven minutes into this episode now. Mm. And we've not yet... Neither of us have attempted... I've done a bad impersonation of the accent yet. I'm not going to. It's <laughs> so... I'm having... Every bone in my body is having to resist oh, I wish it. I wish I could do that accent it's, but so, I, it's so good I, I'm, I'm not good at accents no it's it's perfection yeah mm. I just I just think it's like the Big Lebowski it's just such a well constructed movie every character it's short like considering it, how much yeah. goes on it's only just over 90 minutes yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of characters and I don't think there's a single scene that is like wasted no it's just so well constructed and all the characters are instantly memorable and you know exactly who they are you know from the first time they appear on screen and it's just fun to watch them yeah. spinning out or in Marge's case being a fucking amazing police officer like mm-hmm. a quietly brilliant police officer you said that this is potentially the best movie we've ever done sure, okay I would like to just take a quick minute of your time okay sure yeah. we'll just we'll just have a quick little look through okay yeah I mean I'm not you, saying you, it's you, the you, best I'm saying you, it's in the upper echelon yeah. you can just give me a, a no I'm going to go through these quite quickly give me a no or a maybe okay because I know you're not going to commit to a yes right away with anything I say so, so sorry but what, what am I answering um, is is this film, I say, is it better than Fargo? I see. Okay, sure. So I'll say Titanic, you might say maybe, or you might okay. say no, because mm-hmm. you know I'm right. Sure, yeah. So Titanic? No. Gladiator? No. Super Mario Brothers? No. You're Incep- not going to do 150 of these, are we? Quick. Oh, God. Inception? No. Fifth, you know, I'll skip over some of the... Yeah, the we- good, the bad, and the ugly. No, but these are all such different films, like... 51st Dates. <laughs> Decidedly no. <laughs> <laughs> Memento? No. Okay. Okay. Um, it's on all some side on the spotless mind. Maybe. That's, yeah. That's, that's a, up there. That, that's, that's up that's, there. With that's the best, a solid yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. It's not going to be... And by the way, me saying no isn't an insult to any of these films. Oh, I not know. Many films like, are perfect. Huh? Yeah. 
And like, you know, Gone Girl's a really good film, but it's not better than this. Exactly. Um, the Room? In its way, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. The Truman Show? No. Okay. Um, not Castaway. <laughs> Sixth Sense? No. Tainted Mr. Ripley? No. I do love that film, but no. Interstellar? No. Interview with the Vampire? No. Her? No. Dom Hemingway? <laughs> a classic, but no. God, remember that film? Yeah. That was a fun little detour we took. Sunshine? No, but I do really like that. The Witches of Eastwick? Oh, regressively, no. Hocus Pocus? Ooh. See, I'm glad that you're hesitating on films that are not necessarily serious films. Yeah. No, for what it is? Mm. No. Maybe no, I don't know. Like, like I think, I think <laughs> so, so something between maybe and no. Yeah, right? it's it a mo. It's a mo. Well, because like I think this. Okay, here's the difference. Mm. Hocus Pocus is so much fun for me. I think it's almost unimprovable in being a fun film. Mm-hmm. But this Fargo is so smart. Mm. That's what really sets it apart. It's so clever. With Neil and I. Maybe. Sean the Dead. Oh, maybe. Okay, we're getting this. We're obviously on a good run now. Mm. The Shining. <laughs> we do a lot of really good films. It's a Wonderful Life. No, not for me. No. Um, very good. Very okay. Okay. That, that was four in a row. I'm going to skip over a couple now. Okay. I know it's not Krampus. All I've actually. That made. was a good four, though. Wow. Yeah. That right. was a good streak we did <clears> that Christmas. Huh? Jingle all the way. <laughs> no. Uh, Wally. Uh, no, I like it, but no. Bean Dramakovich. Again, like it a lot, but no. It's not going to be Black Swan. Forrest Gump. No. Snowpiercer. No. Again, like it, but no. Garden State. <laughs> no, decidedly no. La La Land. Decidedly no. Run, Emily, run. Do you mean Emily? That was just the actual Oh, yeah, title. sorry. Emily. <laughs> <That's> too very <laughs> different. Uh, Emily, maybe. Emily is delightful. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Not for me. Mm, Looper, Galaxy Quest, That Thing You Do, With Mice and Men, The Cable Guy, Matilda? No, but I do love it. Oh, Matilda. It is great. It is really good. Solid, fantastic mm-hmm. film. Um, not Waterworld. No. Um, Although, you know, it's still our most popular episode. Royal Tenenbaums? No. School of Rock? No, but again, I really love it, but no. The Boy Next Door? What was that again? Oh, the J-Lo film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always mix that up with The Girl Next Door, which is some crappy mm. like film about a guy who falls in love with a porn star, but uh, no. Spice World? Regressively, no. Yentl. Obviously, no. no, Lab- no. Labyrinth. No. Jerry Maguire. No. Driving to Hell. No. Blue Velvet. May. No. A no. Knight's Tale. No, no, no. Sausage Party. No. Death Becomes a Burlesque. The Big Lebowski. So the Big Lebowski, again, because it's the same <clears throat> principle, people, ultimately, but I'd say maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's a real flip of coin, which of these, these two I prefer from that. Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. No. Pulp Fiction. Maybe. Wolf Children. No, I liked it, but no. Dog Soldiers. No. Red, Red Riding Hood. Wolf. Behind the Mask. The, the Rise of Leslie Vernon. The Way Way Back. Bait. The Birdcage. Ooh, I love it so much, and it's so well put together. Maybe. Arrival. Ooh, no, no. I love Arrival, but no. Edward Scissorhands. No. Elf. Jack Frost. Scrooged. I'm skipping through the seasons, because they're yeah. often not. Yeah. Inside Out. No, but close. Okay. True Lies? No. <laughs> I, I didn't think before I spoke that. Um, E.T.? No. Sound of Music? 
No. Battleship. No. <laughs> you can skip all the games. <laughs> Need Speed, Truth or Dare, Clue? Ooh. No. But I do love it. Shape of Water? No. Dressmaker? Oh, God, the Dressmaker. No. <laughs> the Martian? No. John Carter? No. The Artist? No. Oh, that was, oh, we didn't, that was a me. joke episode, anyway. <laughs> we didn't do it with the Artist. Being Benjamin Button? That's, sorry, just Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. Oh, no. That was boring. Fatal Attraction? No. Dangerous Liaisons? No. Mars Tax? No. Air Force One? No. Four nose in a row right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know... <laughs> Glenn Close is shit. <laughs> Fully agreed now. Devil Wears Prada? No. Clueless? May no. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. Mm. Boogie Nights? Maybe. Tropic Thunder? No. Boogie Nights, really? I loved Boogie You love Boogie Nights. You think it's maybe better than Fargo? No, you're right. It's not. It's too long. It's too long. <laughs> there's bits that aren't as good. But yeah. Geostorm? Knowing. Deep Impact? Left Behind? Day After Tomorrow? Okay. Um, <laughs> Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Ugh, regressively, no. Chronicle? No. Girl Strip? No. Welcome to Marwan? <laughs> no. Stand by Me? No. Shawshank Redemption? No, not for me. M- Misery? No, but close. Maximum Overdrive? No. Django Unchained? No. Napoleon Dynamite? No. Oliver? No. Election? No, but close. What We Do in the Shadows? No, but close. Bram Stoker's Dracula? No. Lesbian Vampire Killers? Absolutely not. Vampire's Kiss? No, but closer than you'd think. Let, <laughs> <laughs> Let the right one in. I, no, but close. And whatever we did last week. Um, Fight Club? No. Yeah. No, no. Far too blurry. Okay, so, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's the greatest film ever made. I mean, you throw tens around. Time. You throw tens around willy nilly. You know? I do not. I throw tens around to films that are exactly what I wanted, are. that are essentially perfect films, that there's nothing wrong with them. Sure. I, well, I, that's what I'm saying about this. But I'm just, I'm just a little bit more selective with that. Mm-hmm. This film for me is. It's, I just think it is as. Good, as good as it could be. It's just, it's such a pleasure to watch. Mm. Like, it's really interesting. It's really engaging. The acting is across the board phenomenal. Yeah. Like, everyone in this is perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. I really struggle to fault it. Mm. So, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, fair enough. No, it's a, it's a really good film. Okay, right. so give me a plot summary. I will. Um, this might be tricky because it is a kind of a convoluted plot, but I'll see what I can do. Mm-hmm. So the film is set in... So Fargo gets directed by the Coen brothers, obviously, mm-hmm. who grew up in this area, which I think it accounts for the fact that they obviously have a lot of affection for it and they really nail the, okay. the accent and the look and the feel of it all, of this kind of very quiet, nice, you know, Midwest American town that's always snowy. Mm. Yes, it's set in Fargo in North Dakota. And so... Well, it's not, it's only in Fargo for like a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, basically. It's named after Fargo, but it mm. jumps in between these a few little towns in the... Mm. I guess on the border between Minnesota and North Dakota? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because there's confusion. I had to look it up, so yeah, it is. Yeah, same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was all set in Minnesota, because that's mm. where I associate that kind of speech pattern mm. as being from. But actually, a lot of it's North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Anyway, don't think it matters particularly. So the film opens with William H. Macy as a businessman, a used car salesman Mm -hmm. called Jerry Lundegaard. Mm -hmm. And he is in a great deal of debt. He's taken out a loan on his house, I believe, for like Mm -hmm. $300,000. Right. And he's done that fraudulently because he needed the money for something. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what. doesn't matter. But he's fraudulently applied for this loan using false information about some of the cars in his his lot as collateral. I think he might have made up some cars Mm -hmm. or something. He's done something dodgy. Basically, he's in way over his head. Mm. And now he's in massive financial problems. He he works for his father-in-law, so he can't tell him. Mm -hmm. He can't tell his wife. He's got a young son who's... He's got support, obviously. So he's just at his wit's end. And so what he decides to do, because his father-in-law is very wealthy, 
is he hires two criminals Mm -hmm. played by the brilliant Steve Buscemi Mm -hmm. and uh, Peter Stormery, Mm -hmm. uh, Swedish actor Peter Stormery. He hires these two criminals to kidnap his wife and then the plan is to get the father-in-law to pay the ransom and then he will split the ransom with the criminals, Mm -hmm. hopefully thereby solving his money worries, nobody gets hurt, Mm -hmm. a victimless crime. Mm -hmm. Of course, things do not quite... (laughs) Turn up that way. We go quite the opposite. Because quite a lot of people end up dead by this movie. <laughs> High body count movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I love the way it spins out. Like, it really, from such a small loop, it spins out into... His... Everything that happens happens because of his idiocy, basically. Mm. Like, he is... The, I, I've seen William H. Macy in a lot of films like this, but he's so good at playing, like, these weaselly characters. Like, it's just from watching him squirm in this film. As it all just falls apart around him and he's trying desperately to, like, keep it together. And it just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not cut out for the criminal life at all, this character. You want your own wife kidnapped? Yeah. You... My point is, you pay the ransom, what, 80,000 bucks? I mean, you give us half the ransom, 40,000, you keep half. It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, see, it's not me paying the ransom. The thing is, my wife, she's wealthy. Her dad, he's real well off. Now, I'm in a bit of trouble. What kind of trouble are you in, Jerry? Well, that's, that's, I'm not gonna get into, into, see, I just need the money. Now, her dad, he's real well off. So, why don't you just ask him for the money? Or your fucking wife, you know. Or your fucking wife, Jerry. Well, it's all part of this. They don't know I need it, see? Okay, so there's that. And even if they did, I wouldn't get it. So there's that on top, then. See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Yeah, personal matters that needn't... uh... Okay, Jerry. You're tasking us to perform this mission, but you won't... uh... You won't... Oh, fuck it. Let's take a look at that Sierra. So the two criminals, they kidnap his wife. But while they are transporting her to the hideout, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, they're pulled over... For speeding, I think, by a local police officer. No, they're pulled over, pulled pulled over because they've got uh, dealer plates. Oh, that's it. They've got fake they, license. Oh, yeah. that's it because it's Jeff. not it's not fake license plates. It's just their their plates are from a dealership, basically saying that this car is not legal to be on the road. Oh, I see. Okay, it's got dealer plates. That's it because they they get the car from Jerry from yeah. William H Macy. He gives yeah. them the car as part of the deal. Mm. Yeah, it's again, it's just him not doing enough, not planning properly for this. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so they get pulled over by a cop, mm-hmm. and Peter Stormare's character shoots the cop dead. Mm. And then two passers-by drive past and see what happens, so then he also shoots them dead. It's not a thing that annoyed me. I noticed in the credits... Did you notice this as well? Right. Um, that the passerby, the one who runs into the fields and then gets shot in the back, mm-hmm. they were credited as the artist formerly known as Prince. Oh, yes. As in the symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, no. I looked it up. Oh, I didn't look it up. I, I then went back in the film and like... That's not Prince. Decidedly not that's... Prince. Like a fairly chunky white guy. Like yeah. That's not what Prince was. No. <laughs> yeah, and I looked that one up online. Like, oh yeah, and they also put this in the credits just to annoy people. And I was like, yeah. God damn it, they got me again. <laughs> I like that the Coen brothers just indirectly trolled you through this whole... All the things that are proud to annoy you, they did. Great. <laughs> so they get shot too. So basically now three people, three innocent people have been killed mm-hmm. in this, in what was supposed to be a very simple kidnapping scam, basically. Yeah. So then they, they take the wife Jean to the hideout and hide out for a few days mm-hmm. and then we're introduced to the star of the film you would mm. probably say Frances McDormand mm-hmm. uh, as Marge Gunderson who is the police chief of the area mm-hmm. 
she's heavily pregnant. And yeah, and she's assigned to the case, which you get the feeling that this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened in this town. Yeah. I don't think she's dealing with murder on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, certainly, yeah. Because the film does a great job of, like, capturing, like... Oh, saying that, she's not, like, surprised or... No! She, or, like, there's a joke here where, like, she sees the dead bodies and then she goes to throw up. Yeah. And the guy's like, you're right. Oh, yeah, it's just morning sickness. It'll yeah. pass. She's, <laughs> she's a great cop. <laughs> and that's what I really like because the character is, you're kind of primed to initially just kind of laugh at her because she's got the funny accent, mm. that, the fantastic helmet of hair that she's mm-hmm. got. Like, I loved all of the, like, Again, this is something the Coen brothers do very well in all of their films. Is like the little details that you can they can just enjoy, like in the costume yeah. in the background, like everything about the way the characters looked. It really screamed this kind of like middle America working class nineties, like so much beige. Mm. Everyone was in so much beige and so many like chunky knit sweaters with no mm-hmm. sleeves. I noticed that a lot. <laughs> um, but the hair was yeah, her hair was just <laughs> again this just fantastic helmets. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, and so you think of her, and because she's like heavily pregnant as well, you're like, oh, she's going to be like the, the the fun incompetent local cop who's mm. never had to deal with anything more serious than a bit of shoplifting or mm-hmm. something. But no, she is completely unflappable. Mm-hmm. She makes smart choices, mm-hmm. and she always does the right thing. Like when she interrogates someone, she's. Just the right amount of friendly and intense. Yeah, exactly. Just like, do you mind if I take a seat? I'm carrying a lot here. Yeah, yeah. And then she just hammers someone and <laughs> yeah. just... Exactly, yeah. I thought throughout the whole film she was... Like that scene where she sits down with William H. Macy in the... Yeah. It... One of the best scenes of the film. Yeah, it's, it's so great. good the tension they ratchet up in, mm. while also being really funny. Yeah. I love the scene when she's interviewing the prostitutes. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's funny looking. Uh... Yeah, kind of. But she kind of gets what she needs out of them. Like, because mm. she doesn't... So there's a, one of the things that happens early on is on the way back to the is on the way back to the hideout they hire the prostitutes. So, yeah. so I'm guessing that the wife is just in the boot of the car at this point or something. Mm. But they stop over in a hotel and they hire the two criminals, Tipu Semi and Peter Stormery. They hire some prostitutes, some local mm-hmm. girls, and they sleep with them. Yeah, great shot of them like having you know fairly enjoyable looking sex, and then it's just smash smash cuts to the ball like watching like boring TV together in the yeah. hotel. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's weird they're in a two-bed motel room having sex. Like, I uh, know. Yeah. Their relationship. I had, <laughs> quest- I had a lot of questions about how those guys knew each other, what yeah. the nature of their relationship was, because mm-hmm. it was... I mean, clearly they're not friends, because no. Peter Stormray, spoiler alert, acts as Steve Buscemi in the groin or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, they've definitely got a weird dynamic. Mm. Like, yeah, they don't seem particularly concerned about having sex literally right next to each other. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then there's a scene later on when Marge is kind of retracing their steps. And she interviews the prostitutes, and she's so good at it, because mm. it's a really funny scene. I think that's the peak of when they really play the accent for laughs, because the mm. girls have both got the really thick, and it's mm-hmm. just lots of, oh, I'm going to do it, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll drop in a better one. I'm not going <laughs> to But yeah, she doesn't seem like she judges them for being prostitutes. No. You know, like I think in another cop movie, it'd be like, they put them on the defensive a little bit, but she's mm. just like really nice and friendly, and she lets them talk, and she listens to them talking mm-hmm. pretty much nonsense, you know. But she protects, <laughs> she feigns interest. Like it's not helpful to her that he's not circumcised, or you know, <laughs> yeah. that's not what she's asking. Yeah. But she gets some information that she kind of can use, like mm-hmm. you know, and she works with it. So, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing in this whole film that she, she just she's very competent, mm. right? and she and nothing phases her. Okay, I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? 
No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. What about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. So the film then kind of follows her as she is investigating the case, basically. So she interviews... Um, how does she find out that it's connected to Jerry Lundegaard in the first place? To William H. Macy? I'm trying to think. Mm. Oh, is it, it's, oh it's his, is it his car? Yes, it's a car from his dealership. How does she find out about that, though? I can't remember now. There's something, the details aren't that important. It's more like... Well, I think that because the... the oh, car- no, it's his wife has been kidnapped. Duh. Oh, yeah. Joy. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so... She sits down with him, and yeah, we get some fantastic scenes of him just being. Well, no, sorry, because there's there's two separate crimes, as far as she knows: his wife being kidnapped, yeah, and then the people who were murdered. Sure, she's not put two and two together necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for a while she's only interested in him because the car came from his dealership. Sure, because um, the cop who died put down it was dealer played, so maybe he's the only dealer in town. Oh, so they do. Okay, the, the reason I asked this is before we started recording, you were asking if they had the same car. For, the criminals had the same car mm. for the whole film. The, the car isn't left at the scene of the crime. No, it's just the guy wrote it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the, cause the, the cop wrote DLR. Oh, he did? You're right, yes. Yeah. That's it, yeah. And then somebody's looking for number plates beginning with DLR, and then she's like, uh, dealer plates? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another example of her being very good at her job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right, I get it now. So, yes, so she's investigating that. She talks to William H. Macy's character, and, yeah, these are some of the best scenes when she asks him to do some inventory to find out if any cars might have been stolen, mm-hmm. and he's just such a terrible liar. Like, mm-hmm. it's so obvious that he's involved in some way and it's just it's just great because as I said she doesn't get too aggressive she kind of lets him spin himself out yeah and he just just watching him squirm William H. Macy's one of the best like squirm actors in Hollywood I think just mm-hmm. it's just really 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 well done yeah so yeah so she she kind of looks into him and then she what else does she do um oh there's a great scene that's kind of seems not particularly relevant to the plot but again is maybe one of the funniest scenes in the film when she meets up with an old friend of hers mm-hmm so she's um, she's happily married. She's pregnant, obviously. She's got a lovely husband. They seem like they're very happy together. It's mm-hmm. very sweet. But yeah, she gets a call from an old... Oh, that's because it goes into the paper, doesn't it? Like, she, the, the story goes into... Oh, yeah. Local yeah. And she gets a call from an old classmate from school. Mm. Uh, Mike Yanagata or something. Mm-hmm. And so oh, yeah. they, meet up for, they meet up for, like, a coffee or something, I guess, to mm-hmm. catch up. And, oh, my God, it's one of the cringiest scenes in film <laughs> history. But it's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She handles it so well. She does, yeah. So he's like, yeah, he just makes a very uncomfortable... And remember, she's heavily pregnant. Like, yeah. You know, it's clearly not the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he like makes an, a very awkward pass at her, and she's so polite about it. She's just like, you know what? No, you can sit over there. It's fine. Yeah. And then he just completely melts down, and it's... <laughs> yeah. It's But, like, in a film that's only 90 minutes long, like, this scene doesn't... I don't think this scene really informs anything else that happens. It's just a little moment. Mm. Just to... I think, because in a lot of in a lot of films, especially crime films, the characters are so like two dimensional. It's like this is the cop, this is the villain, this mm-hmm. is the you know the vi- the victim. Mm. Whereas this gives them all these weird little details that just kind of makes you believe that they're people. Mm-hmm. And that's what this scene—it's just a little window into her life, and mm. and it just this this sad, funny little moment that she has with this old flame or this old schoolmate that she had. Like, yeah. And then she finds out that he was making the whole thing up, <laughs> which just makes it even more tragic. Like, <laughs> 
Oh, Chief Gunderson then. Oh, so, you went and married Narm, son of a Gunderson. Oh, yeah, long time ago. Great, great. So, uh, what brings you down? Uh, are you down here on that homicide if you're uh, allowed, to, you know, to discuss that? Oh, yeah, yeah, but there's not a heck of a lot to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Mike? Are you married? You got kids? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I was married, uh, I was married to, you mind if I sit over here? Uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. No, why don't you sit over there, I prefer that. Huh? Oh. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, no, no, just so I can see you, don't have to turn my neck. Oh, sure, sure, I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't mean to, uh... No, no. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. So the, the time comes to hand over the ransom, mm-hmm. basically. So the idea is that William H. Macy is supposed to hand over the ransom to the criminals, and then obviously when the wife gets released safely, they're going to split the difference, and mm-hmm. that's what's supposed to happen. But, um, well, first of all, William H. Macy is ripping everybody off because the ransom set at 80 grand, so he's going to give the criminals 40 grand. Yeah. But what he actually tells his father-in-law that the ransom is is a million dollars. Yeah. So he's trying to skim a huge amount off the top officer there. Mm. Uh, but it all goes horribly wrong when his father-in-law, Wade, who clearly despises him, <laughs> which is another great source of mm-hmm. like comedy in this film, that the father-in-law just has no respect for him whatsoever. No. Rightly so. Rightly so, he's dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> but like, even, be- even without knowing that he's responsible for it all. Like, mm. Yeah, so he, he decides that he's going to be the one to hand over the ransom money because mm. he's providing the ransom money. He doesn't trust Jerry not to screw up, basically. Yeah. Why is Jerry always the name of characters who are just like complete putzes? It's great, isn't it? I was just thinking, we've both been rewatching Rick and Morty recently in preparation mm. for a quiz we're going to do. Have you ever seen a TV character in in film or TV called Jerry who's not? Jerry Maguire. Oh, I suppose, yeah. Boom. Got you right there. I, I've got to stop challenging. At least there was no money involved there. I've got to stop challenging. <laughs> I'll give you a thousand pounds you can name a single movie Jerry. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll take it back. Yeah, so the father-in-law decides he's going to be the one to collect the money. Mm-hmm. So he does that uh, with Steve Buscemi. Uh, Steve Buscemi goes to, to meet him, does not take this well, because he's obviously been led to believe he's going to meet William H. Macy. Instead, this new person shows up. So he panics. They end up getting into a fight. The father-in-law shoots Steve Buscemi through the mouth, mm-hmm. which two movies in a row, someone gets shot through the cheek, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Steve Buscemi gets shot through the face, but survives. Yeah. And then he shoots Wade dead. He mm-hmm. shoots the father-in-law dead and mm-hmm. takes the money. Yeah. And obviously ends up with more money than he ever dreamed of having. Mm-hmm. So, and then he goes and swiftly buries all but 80 grand of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the, in the snow. Yeah. Uh, and then goes back to the hideout where it turns out that Peter Stormery, the other criminal, has killed the wife mm-hmm. because... Did she try to escape? I think, she, I think he said like she was getting annoying or something like that. Oh, you never find out, yeah. She wouldn't stop screaming or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's incredibly, like, low-key. Mm-hmm. You don't even see it. Like, yeah. It, which makes it kind of all the more chilling because mm. at the begin the beginning scenes the wife puts up a f- reasonable fight like to stay alive like mm-hmm. they re- when they first break into a house like she really like does her best to get away so mm. yeah like not doesn't do a brilliant job but no. you know, she she tries you <laughs> yeah. know she's really fighting so then just out of nowhere she's off screen she's just dead mm. it's a very like shocking moment mm-hmm. yeah so then he's quite obviously that kind of screws up a lot of their plan basically I don't mm. think Peter Stormray cares no. But the Steve Buscemi obviously then gets very mad about that. He doesn't know what they're going to do. And then Peter Stormer just kills him. Just mm. comes up behind him, shoves an axe into him. Yeah. And he's dead. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Marge has been continuing to do her investigations. And she's 
she just kind of she just talks to people around the town like just has very mm. nice friendly conversations and just gets what she needs and again somebody spotted them was it the hotel owner or something mm. there was someone who was like oh I saw them driving down this way and she decides to drive by and investigate them sure yeah she, so she's doing the the loop of the lake where she's heard that they were last seen yeah and sh- sure enough she sees the car mm. and then she pulls over and goes to investigate mm-hmm. uh, and she spots uh, in probably the most iconic scene of the whole movie mm-hmm. she spots uh, Peter Stormery putting feeding the oh, artist yes. formerly known as Steve Buscemi yeah. into a wood chipper <laughs> yeah <laughs> just to get rid of the body and uh, yeah and then she, so she pulls a gun on him and tells him to freeze he tries to run away she shoots him in the leg mm-hmm. crack shot mm-hmm. and she arrests him mm. then Jerry gets arrested as well you see him like pathetically trying to run out of a hotel room yeah and then, <laughs> and that's kind of the end of the movie yeah that is it yeah it's very good yeah it's it's a lot but it's also not too much mm. yeah yeah I'd agree with that mm. Yeah, it's a good film. So that was Mrs. Lundegaard on the floor in there. And I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. And those three people in Brainerd. And for what? for a little bit of money. There's more to life than a little money, you know. Don't you know that? And here you are. And it's a beautiful day. Well. I just don't understand it. Any other thoughts before we get to drinking games? Nah, let's, let's move on. Okay. Okay, so the first one I've got here, quite an easy one. Drink for gunshots. Gunshots, okay. Are there that many? There's a few here and there. Like, I guess if you were to to line them up and then drink evenly, like, there's nothing, then all of a sudden there'll be like seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Fair enough, yeah. Well, I had similarly drink for deaths. Yeah. Because it really it really makes me laugh because for such a small little crime, mm. not that kidnapping is an insignificant crime, but no. I mean like for such a low stakes kind of thing that's happened mm. in this tiny little town, it's not the kind of thing where there's like gang warfare. It's two mm. cheap local criminals, you know, yeah. and some stupid businessman who's not got any plans. Yeah. And yet seven people die in this movie. Just seven people. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the first one to die is the cop who pulls the, yeah. the two criminals. Then the, the two, two, two passers by, they get killed. Mm. Then uh, I think the next one is the wife, maybe. Or maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. it's not clear at what point she's the wife or the dad. Yeah, the wife, the father-in-law. That's five. Yeah, the parking attendant. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember that was a needless death. That yeah. poor guy. Um, and then obviously Steve Buscemi. Yeah, who uh, has the most memorable death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, wow. it's a it's a bloody film. Yeah, yeah it really is. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So next one I've got is well, it's a lot all in one. It's, drink whenever someone says the words. You betcha, Dan Tootin, <laughs> Margie, funny looking, 
Yeah. Yeah. Or geez. Yeah. Well, I, I, I drink for colloquialism, so yeah. Basically. Yeah. I, 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 it's just so good. Like, just the idea of Dan Tootin was my favourite. Yeah, Dan Tootin. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> oh, are you going to kill him? Dan Tootin. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a, like, a nicey, nicey phrase. Yeah. Like, nobody ever says that anymore. But that's the, I think that's the genius of, like, setting, like, a serious, like, I have a heavy, bloody criminal film in the, like, most rustic place in the world mm. like if you did this film if you did a British version of this film it would be set in mid Wales you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah. it would just be like if Gavin and Stacey had a body count you know mm. yeah <laughs> drink every time you spot the Paul Bunyan statue that's oh, yeah. definitely its own character in the movie yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, drink whenever the Swedish guy speaks mm. yes he doesn't have a lot to say no he's very yeah, typically Swedish right? mm-hmm. You know, his real name is... So, his, the actor, Peter Stormery, which is a good name. Mm. His real name is Rolf Storm. Rolf Storm? Uh, Rolf. His first name is Rolf, and his surname is Storm. Wow. That's like... That's an actor name, sure. Yeah. Like, that's like a... That's like maybe, an X-Man. Maybe he thought it was too much. Probably thought it was a bit too much, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, sometimes there's a fine line between actor name and stripper name. Tr- yeah, to be fair, it does feel more like a stripper name. Yeah. So... <laughs> But he, no, he's great. Mm-hmm. I love Peter Stormer. He always, he's one of those, another that guy actor. He always shows up as like, I don't think he's ever played anyone who wasn't actively terrifying. Like, mm-hmm. He's got one of those faces, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, drink every time Marge and Norm are relationship goals. <laughs> they are such a sweet couple. I loved all the scenes of them just being like, mm-hmm. yeah. Again, just little, little details. Like his, he likes painting ducks onto stamps. He's mm-hmm. entered a stamp competition to paint ducks. Yeah. And she's just as invested in that, if not more so, than yeah. he is in her multiple <laughs> homicide. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that when she comes home, he starts talking about his stamps. She instantly switches mm. to just being fully involved, fully engaged in that. Yeah. Well, I think that's and like a... she like she comes home like this is after like she's caught everybody. Yeah, you've like, you'd be like been, I... there's been all these yeah. deaths and everything. She comes back, she, she lies in bed, and then he says something. And she's like, oh, "Oh, I'm so proud of you. That's yeah. fantastic. You've done that, that little yeah. thing. That's great." I took down a murderer today, but you you won that. You came third in the stamp competition. Like, <laughs> it was really sweet, but also I felt like it made sense for the character because it's like okay, she's got this job that's probably really because in that speech she gives in the car earlier when she's talking about how she doesn't understand why people would cause so much pain for mm. money like obviously her job qu- is quite upsetting at times yeah. I feel like her home life she deliberately just like that's when she, when she t- switches off for the day she's done and she, this is the thing that makes her you know she doesn't have to think about all the mm. nastiness in the world that her mm-hmm. job kind of puts her in front of a lot of the time so I thought it was a really really sweet and just so many nice little fun little details I loved all the time that they kept bringing each other junk food constantly like yeah. they sat in the bed together watching TV eating crisps in bed it was just very <laughs> it was very sweet like, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, they were great. Um, okay, so next one I've got drink whenever somebody puts on a coat or a hat. Oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of this. As I mentioned before, loved all the costume choices in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, William H. Macy, for the majority of this film, is wearing two hats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <He is. laughs> it's a good look. It's a mm-hmm. good look. Oh, speaking of actually hats and uh, to both of our points, drink for receding hairlines. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of characters in this with uh, various stages of male pattern baldness going on. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, similar to that, drink any time anybody refers to Steve Buscemi by his size or appearance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The little fella, the funny looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Like, I feel like this is like established, I don't know what, I'm sure he was in things before this, but this is this is really was is like peak Steve Buscemi. Like, yeah. There's everything that he... You, lo- you like the most about him encapsulated in this film, really. Yeah, pretty much. Similarly, drink every time Steve Buscemi takes physical or mental abuse. 
Oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> There's nothing better, is there, than watching Steve Buscemi just getting absolutely the shit kicked mm. out of him or getting mm-hmm. horribly abused by people. Like he is just so good. He is because oh, ca- he, he he always plays that character. He always plays that character who's not that good looking mm. and you know is a bit of a weirdo. Yeah, I think my favorite Steve Buscemi line is. Uh, Oh, hello, fellow teenagers. Well, yeah, that's in her first year. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. And this is old Steve Buscemi as well. That, that's like only 10 years ago. Yeah, he would have yeah. been in his 50s. But yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The Coen Brothers put him in this and made him go through all this shit he goes through in this film and then immediately put him in The Big Lebowski. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. They just love to torture <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Like, mm, I'm done, Coen. Oh, you don't? Okay, sure. I've only got a couple more. Drink every time Wade, the father-in-law, undermines Jerry. Mm-hmm. Just lots of passive-aggressive... No offence, Jerry, but you don't need to screw this up. Let, let a real man handle this. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's such like father-in-law from hell kind of scenario. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, drink every time Jerry lies badly. Sure. And I think last one, drink every time Jerry throws a tantrum. Yeah. That was really funny when Marge questions him, interrogates him, and then she walks out and he just starts like screaming and like hitting things and mm. and then he runs away and she's like oh he's he's fleeing the he's, what's the what's the line she uses like he's fleeing the scene of the crime or something like, oh yeah, yeah he's fleeing the interview he's fleeing the interview yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good oh it's great yeah <laughs> yeah very good fun. great okay I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it if you'd been bored by this I would have been annoyed yeah, yeah. <sighs> oh for Pete's sake. He's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. Okay, so before we talk about sequels, I'm going to let you listeners know that if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode, mm-hmm. then we're actually available on Patreon. Mm-hmm. So if you go to patreon.com slash set, you can support us for as much or as little as you think we're worth. You get a few bonus features by doing so. First one, you get twice as many episodes um, a week as you would normally get. You get our bonus show called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, where we review cinema releases. Mm-hmm. I think tonight we're going to go and see... Um, Are we countdown. Still countdown, yeah. Countdown, which mm-hmm. looks like a bad horror movie with an interesting idea. Which is one of my favourite kinds of horror movies. We'll so. see. Yeah. But we did recently review uh, Doctor Sleep. Nope. We're going to review Doctor Sleep. I know. Yeah, we're, we're about to record our Doctor Sleep review. We're also going to record our Terminator review. Oh yeah, that's going to be interesting. What's the one before that? Um, Ready or not? Ready or not? Thank you. Yeah. Which is, I think, probably going to be the good version of Countdown. Like yeah. what, what Countdown should be, because that mm. was a great film that knew exactly what it was trying to be. Spoiler alert, I rated it a 10 out of 10. Oh, yeah, you did. Huh? Yeah. But that's what I mean. That, that's the... I stand by it. Okay, fine. Well, I stand by Fargo. Great. Which one's in the AFI Top 100 Films of All Time? Yeah, because that's everything. Sure, sure. Which one won more Oscars? Well, we don't know, because yeah, I mean, the Oscars haven't come around yet. Yeah. Yeah. High hopes for Eddie or not in the yeah. Oscars, yeah. We'll see, we'll <laughs> see. Um, also, if you become a Patreon, you get a 30-second advert slot on the main show. You can talk about anything you want. It can be your own podcast, your own business, whatever you feel like talking about. It's your time. Do with it what you will. Indeed. Also, once a month, we have a patron episode on the main show as well. That is, we, we will pick a patron at vaguely random. Mm-hmm. We'll keep it fair. Yeah. And uh, you get to choose a film. You can guest on the show if you wish. You can come in in person, do it online, or just get us to do the film for you and you just listen later on. Sure. It's up to you. It's your choice. And finally, the last thing you get, you get access to our exclusive Facebook group for Patreon members only. Mm-hmm. And that is a beautiful place online full of great people mm-hmm. who are all chatting great shit. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. yeah. Join us. Get closer to us. Get to know us better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, so all that is available at patreon.com slash beyond the box set. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Okay, sequels. Great. I believe I'm going first. You are. That's the okay. rule. Um, now, I've not really got a title that's relevant to this. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it is. We'll let you be the decider of that, John. Okay. So I've called it Fargo 2, Too Far Gone. Too Far Gone. Is that two the number two? It's, it's, it can be, but it's not. Okay. It's not. Okay. But you say that might not... Is that just not relevant to the plot? It's just... Uh, I basically just made the title. I had a few title ideas. That was the best one. I've not really thought about one that matches the plot. Maybe okay. it does, though. Well, tell me the plot and I'll, yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, so so picking up fairly close after the original. Okay. Frances McDormand, um, that's Marjorie, isn't it? Yes. Is uh, she, she the inspector or something? She's the, the police of chief. Chief, police of, of, chief of police. <laughs> I've only had two beers. She's the police of chief. For, I did it again. The chief of police. What's wrong with me? The chief of police for this town, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, obviously, not many crimes happen in this in this small, small, small town. Sure. And so she wants to get it right so that you know, she looks good and mm-hmm. doesn't want to miss anything. So she's trying to put together all the pieces of information on this case to work out exactly what happened from the original film. Mm, yeah. Okay. So that the case can be correctly presented in court. I see. Without okay. any rock left unturned. So she she's obviously very good at her job, as we've mm-hmm. discussed. Now there is one thing that she notices that doesn't quite add up is that the amount of fuel left in the tank doesn't match up with the route that she believe that she believes that Steve Buscemi drove. Ah, okay. We're going to get into the hidden money. Mm. Excellent. Okay. So yeah, she didn't talk about that. That a million, close to a million dollars in this movie just goes missing, and mm. nobody knows about it or finds it because everyone involved is either dead or in prison. Yeah, mm. yeah, pretty much. So she goes back to her office, and uh, on the wall there is a notice board full of pins and strings and maps and pictures of people. You know the drill. Yes, classic local police station. Mm. Yeah, setup. Yeah, great. And so one of her co-workers walks into her office, and uh, this is where I've got a lot of script. Um, we can do this together, or I can do it if you want. But I'm not doing an accent either way. I don't know. We'll split it up. It's, if you just read multiple characters, it's going to be hard to understand. So okay, um, you read first, and we'll go at every other paragraph. Okay. So you're Marge Gunderson, mm-hmm. and I'm police officer number two. Uh, you're, you're called Frankie. Frankie, okay, Margie and Frankie. Yeah. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, hey, why are you still doing this, Margie? <laughs> the case is closed. You've got two perpetrators with, with cause. One of, who have, you've got two perpetrators with cause who have just gone on record and admitted his crimes and the, and the crimes of the chippered partner. That accent went all over the place. I do apologise. That was something special. <sighs> There's something missing, Frankie. This... <laughs> Marge has got very British. <laughs> now played by Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> Twice sound like Judy Dench. No, you don't. I'm just... Sorry. <laughs> There's something missing, Frankie. This all seems too simple. The remaining fuel in the tank doesn't match the mileage that we have here. Seriously, Margie? You're eight months pregnant. I feel like I sound like it, the clown. <laughs> <laughs> you do, you do. Seriously, Margie, you're eight months pregnant and the case is done and you did a great job. Go home. Nobody would think less of you. And besides, what if it wasn't a full tank when he started driving it? Eh? She's <laughs> not Canadian. Just adding, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm, I mean, I'm reading this cold. Give me a break. <laughs> I've not written in any accent marks for John no, here, by um, the way. Um, I'm just bringing myself to the script. Anyway, I already checked that. I went to the dealer, and they have a fuel shortage of 8680, which is approximately the full tank of, of a Buick 980. You Googled that, didn't you? I did not. I made okay. it all up. Okay. Sounds good, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. plausible. <laughs> so that means that he drove a 23-mile route, which we haven't accounted for, and it must have been somewhere between the multi-story car park and going back to the cabin with the chipper. He didn't have time anywhere else. 
Okay. So like, so like, she's worked out everywhere that he's been mm-hmm. and when he was there, mm-hmm. and there's a certain duration that you yeah. must fit in that that bit there. Again, I like I like how you've really lent into her being a very good police officer. Yeah, That's, I like it. Okay, Margie, I, can, I feel like Margie's the only word I can do. I can see there's no stopping you. Let me know how I can help to get this done faster so you can go home. Okay, well, we need to find a route between the car park and the chipper, which is 23 miles longer than it needs to be. So get on it. And from here, <clears throat> we get a bit of a montage of the two of them separately, measuring every possible combination of routes to try and where he might have gone. Okay. After a day's work, they narrow it down to just two routes. Mm-hmm. There's only two routes that it could have been. One stretching out to the east and one to the west. Okay. Okay, then. So we're going to search both routes. You take the west and I'll take the east. Say, sure thing, Margie. Sure thing, Margie. <laughs> <laughs> so they each take their assigned routes and slowly drive them looking for clues. It takes a while. Well, well, not clues, but just like things that don't quite look right. Yeah, sure. Um, it takes a while, but eventually she finds the red de-icer thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has a dig around in the snow, and she very quickly finds the case of money. Oh, great. She takes it into her car, and then has a look inside, and obviously there's still, like, $900,000 in there or something. Mm, like, 920, I guess it would be. Yeah, thank mm. you. Mr. Calculator. Yes, I'm well known for my math skills. <laughs> oh, that, was a, that took a lot of mental evidence. <laughs> yeah, so she doesn't immediately drive off. She stops, and she has a bit of a think. Um, we see her look down and rub her baby bump. And then she reaches into the bag and takes out half of the money. Ooh, Marge is going rogue. Stashing it in her glove compartment. Oh, oh my God. Mm. Uh, you've shattered my... Well, she's thinking faith. she's got a baby on the way. She's only on a police officer's salary. And, I mean, sure. And, you know, God. Norm's not getting a lot of money. No, that's... He's just earning whatever from his three cent stamps. True. No, no, no. I mean, it's perfectly fair. Like, yeah, but good mm. on her. But you know, Marge, I thought we were better than this. You know? Yeah, me too. But I like it. You're adding shade to the character. You know? Yeah. She's got layers. She's morally complicated now. So she then drives back to the station where mm-hmm. she announces what she's found. This this case of $500,000. Mm-hmm. Um, her partner is impressed. And then after debriefing, debriefing like her superiors back at the, I don't know, the, the state chief, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Whoever's in charge. Marge announces that she's taken her maternity at once. <laughs> on an unrelated note I'm not working ever again see you suckers I'm moving to the Bahamas well no I mean people are encouraging her to take her maternity and she's sure, like no I mean, I'm she's... gonna I'm gonna I know there's something missing from this case I'm gonna find it she found it so she's like right okay now I'm at home see you guys later that's fair okay sure yeah <laughs> I didn't say taking her retirement no no I said sure. taking her maternity sure okay like I'll see you in nine months or whatever okay yeah or a year so cut to a week later and the case is being processed with the additional evidence and uh you may have forgotten the business partner of the dad. Oh, there was a business partner, yeah. Yeah. So he um, he gets in touch with mm-hmm. the police department, and he speaks to Frankie. Mm-hmm. And he reports that a large sum of money, um, approximately a million dollars, is missing from the dad's funds. Now right. they've been going through his estate and his will and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Did and he not know that the deal was happening, though? Um, maybe. They had the conversation. Sh- the, yeah. the three of them were in the cafe together, weren't they? William H. Macy... The dad, the father-in-law, and this guy. If we're thinking of the same guy, he knew that there was a ransom involved. Ah, right. Okay. Although I don't know whether he thought. Okay, that okay was, sure. Yeah. yeah. That's but sure. either way, like he, he knows that there should be. Whether he knew or not, he's getting in touch. There's yeah. a there's a million dollars unaccounted for. Yes, sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's obviously more money than was than totals what was found in the case and by the wood chipper. Yeah. Um, and that's all I've got here. We can improv from here. Sure. Um, but. From here, I was thinking it's basically a lot of cat and mouse between Frankie and Margie. Oh, so now Marge is on the other side of it. Now she's on the run. Mm-hmm. So you're turning Marge into a criminal. Yeah. 
I like this. I mean, she's not done the best so, job of covering her tracks so far. So it, 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 it's a week later, or, may, or maybe it could be more time later. In fact, no, I think it's a week later when Businessman gets in touch with Frankie. Sure. And Frankie's like, oh, I wonder, mm. if, wonder if Marty took that money. Yeah. And he doesn't quite bring himself to do anything about it mm. for quite a while. Or, or, no, better idea. At that point, somebody comes in and says, Marty's had the baby. And so then he's like, oh. Do I take half a million dollars away from my good friend Margie? You know, she's just had her first kid. And like, yeah. I know she's struggling for money and stuff. So what do I do here? Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's how it goes. And then a few months from now, he gets a bit jealous for some reason. Maybe he's got his own problems going on. Maybe yeah. he's got a kid in the way as well. He could do with some of that money. Well, yeah, exactly. He's, it, if this is a Karen Brothers film, he's going to have a whole life of his own. that they're gonna Maybe he blackmails her. Oh, interesting. And may, may, maybe he says, hey, Margie. You better share that money with me. Yeah. We can make this go away if you give me half. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm going to dob you in. Yeah. Okay. And I don't want to do that because I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to take a, I don't want to take money away from, you know, little Bertie there. <laughs> Everything has to end with an IE. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. I kind of, if you're going to go down this route of making Margie a criminal, I think you should go all in. Okay. So maybe he, maybe this Frankie goes to confront her in, in the maternity ward. Like she's lying in bed, she you know she's quite tired. She's oh, she's just... oh right, okay, yeah. Like, what, 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 what no, you carry on. Okay, but there's no one else around. Like he go, he lets himself in, and you know, and she, he's like, so I know what you did, and like you said, if you give me half, we'll you know, mm. I, I can make this go away. Mm-hmm. And then maybe she like seems agreeable, but then she just has a with a hidden gun. She's got hidden underneath oh, her. Oh my! She shoots him dead, and then she gets out of bed, you know. Throws him out the, you know, disposes of the body, mm-hmm. just you know, and just becomes like a psychopathic killer. Mm. And then we're just getting the dark side of Marge, and then she has to cover her tracks stuff, like mm. f- find a way to make his death look natural, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, mm. I mean, if you're gonna that, go that, there, that, then that, go there. That one seems a bit quick. Is yeah. is, is my only thing that like, yeah, maybe, maybe, like, actually, like no, maybe like, she. Like, I like the idea of her having a gun underneath in her in her hospital bed having just had bed maybe she shoots at him and like he yeah. do- he dodges yeah. and he runs no, or maybe or she kills him a few days later not in a way that's less obvious because if she shoots someone in the middle of a hospital I want, I want a bit of a trace bet- yeah, yeah, between yeah. A, a cat and mouse thing between the two of them yeah you're right yeah, um, yeah I went too far yeah, 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 too far too soon too far too soon later on she kills him yeah but there's a, yeah there's a whole cat and mouse happening mm. and at a certain point she's cornered so she kills him and then makes it look like an accident or frames somebody else mm-hmm yeah. Maybe she frames Norm. She's fucking cold. Oh, Norm. No. <laughs> oh. Hey, you've turned this character into a criminal. Oh, but how is Bertie going to get by without a dad? And his mum's a psychopath. Yeah. Well, who else could she frame? It's all the characters. Uh, the, the, the businessman. She could frame the business partner, yeah. yeah. That could work, yeah. yeah. Actually, no, yeah. Leave, leave Norm alone. Nobody wants to break up that relationship. Yeah. Come on. Okay. Yeah. No, I'd like it that if she turns into this mastermind criminal mm. and then she still will just come home, like, exhale, and then, like, oh, you've done so well with your stamps today, Norm. Oh, my God, that's yeah. so yeah, good. Actually, I'm, right. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, You're that's great. better. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, no, I like that. Okay, cool. But, yeah, I, I, I think I would like to see her turn into, like, a full criminal. Mm. Yeah, I feel like <clears> this is maybe even, like, a miniseries rather than a film. Yeah. It just follows, you know, it, it's... <gasps> Fargo, a TV show. Oh, that's a good idea, that, John. That, you know, that's just crazy enough to work, yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was um, Fargo, Too Far Gone. You know what? That title kind of works. It, it does work, doesn't it? Because it's like Margie's fall from grace. Like yeah. She's gone from being this heroic figure to a, a murderous criminal. Okay, no, yeah, I think that's actually a very appropriate title. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, very good. I like that a lot. Mm. Great. Okay, so that, that brings us to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. My sequel is also a direct sequel, but mine sets actually in the present day, so we're talking about 25 years on. Sure. Yeah, just, just under. I think this one came out in 1996, so 22 years on. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter, basically. 23. 23, N- sure. Nearly yeah. 24. Okay. okay. Someone's better at maths than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 23 years have passed. And this movie is not going to focus initially on the main characters mm. from the original film. This is going to focus on a new character who lives in the same town. Mm-hmm. She is going to be a middle-aged housewife living in Minnesota. And in between raising her three adolescent children uh, and volunteering at a local homeless shelter, and she's a very kind of wholesome, you know, Midwestern character, like many of the ones you would expect to see in this kind of film. Yeah. Uh, in between all of that, she's an avid fan of true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. one thing I've learned since getting into the podcast game is that True like, crime cells. House, in particular, like women seem to love true crime. Like, mm-hmm. not a stereotype, but it seems like women and mums and like middle aged ladies seem to be all over like the most gruesome true crime podcast. It's a really funny, bizarre thing I find. I don't know what it is, but like, I love it. Like, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'm thinking this woman, she's going to be called Carol, and she's mm-hmm. going to be very housewifey. And she's going to be played by Melissa McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I feel like she could nail that accent. Oh yeah, because the, yeah, the accent. Believe she could. Yeah, the reason I want to do a podcast is basically what I really want from any sequel to Fargo is just more of hearing that accent. So I just want more <laughs> yeah. as much talking as possible. Yeah. So Melissa McCarthy in this town sets up a true crime podcast uh, with her best friend Judy, who is going to be played by another actress who does excellent accent work, is uh, Catherine O'Hara from Shit's Creek. Oh yeah, the mum from Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm. I think those two would be very good friends together, and I- I'm pretty sure she could nail that accent because mm. I mean she's. The queen of accents on um, on Schitt's Creek. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to think about her English accent that one time to crack up. <laughs> yeah. Hey folks, how are we doing today? Oh. Excited beyond compare. Anyway, so they decide to launch their own true crime podcast because they're such fans of the genre set in their small town. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because they live in the nicest place on earth, uh, the only notable crime that's happened in the past 30 years is the infamous Fargo murders in which seven people were killed in a failed kidnapping scandal. Mm-hmm. So they set out to investigate the case and try to dig out some new information. Mm-hmm. So all of this is basically just an excuse to kind of catch up with all the characters 23 years later and yeah. find out where they all got up to. Yeah. So obviously the first one they're going to interview is Marge, as the police officer who was in charge of the case at the time. And I feel like she's continued to rise up the ranks and she's like now quite high up in local government because I think she's obviously been promoted well because she's a... Yeah, as we've mentioned, very competent, very for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like to think, I don't know what her role is. Maybe she's like the mayor or something? Or Basically what I want is for her to be in the Fargo version of Parks and Recreation. Mm. She's got a whole bunch of like local bureaucrats, all with that accent. Mm-hmm. Just imagine Parks and Rec, but with this accent. Again, right. like, and in a, in a very snowy, t- in a permanently snowy city, you know? Yeah, yeah. So she's now in charge of all of that. So she's like running the town and she's running the shit out of this town. Like mm-hmm. she is... Very good at her job. Mm. I want to give her a happy ending. So she's got, you know, she's got this son now who's probably in his, I guess, in his early twenties, and she's, obviously she's still very happily married to Norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's her story. Then she goes to the prisons and she interviews the two criminals who mm-hmm. have survived. So Peter Stormray mm-hmm. obviously got life imprisonment. Yeah, because he killed, he literally killed people. So he's still in prison. And I feel like it'd be funny if he's. I feel become... like in court he wouldn't have held back either. Oh yeah, like when someone says, "Well, why did he kill the daughter?" He'd be like. She was noisy. Yeah, I feel like he would have said all of two words in, yeah. in his court case. Yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't have been hard to convict him. Uh, but I think... But I feel like he wouldn't have lied or tried to tell 
you know, a, a better looking truth. Or oh anything. no, he's he entirely would... fatalistic. Yeah. Yeah. So my thing for him was was I think it'd be really funny if since going he's been in prison now for twenty two years, and in that time he's had a complete reinvention he's become very zen mm-hmm. like he does lots of yoga he <laughs> meditates he does anger management mm-hmm. he's completely turned his life around yeah he's still in prison for life obviously mm. but i think it'd be really funny if rather than him still being because it'd be easy to be like oh he's the top dog he's head gangster even if, if the, he'd gone completely the other way and now he's incredibly peace and love and mm-hmm. yeah i think he should wear like long flowing robes over his prison suit and do lots of guided meditation so mm-hmm. that i think that's where he's at um, Jerry's probably out by now because he didn't actually kill anyone directly so he probably served maybe I don't know for conspiracy so may, and fraud I guess mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe manslaughter I don't know he's indirectly responsible I mean it's all his fault yeah. but he didn't kill anyone you know no. what I mean yeah. yeah 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 so he probably got maybe 5 to 10 years you know I, I feel it could be something like that yeah so he's out now mm-hmm. but obviously he's ruined like his you know all, all his money's gone you know mm-hmm. he, he went bankrupt mm-hmm there's no way he's getting back into the family business, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like his son is not speaking to him anymore. Yeah. I just think he should be in, like, a really pathetic, like... Oh, yeah, I forgot he had a son. Yeah. He the, forgot that... a lot of times, didn't he? Yeah, the, the whole... Yeah, he, he forgot he had a son, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, that poor kid. What a traumatic weekend yeah. for him, like, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel like the son now runs the company. Because mm-hmm. he'd be the next in line, you know. Mm-hmm. Probably with the business partner. I mean, it, it, he's not, like, heir to the throne. He... No. <laughs> the, the guy wasn't king. No, 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 but you know what I mean. Like maybe, maybe, maybe he's well, maybe the business partner. But that mo- the money that the father-in-law had, mm. you know, mm. minus that million, unless like he literally had only one million, mm. not only one million. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's if they are that wealthy, you know, the money has to go somewhere. The wife is dead. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to Jerry anymore. Mm. Clearly, so maybe the business partner took it that you mentioned in your one took over the business, mm. and then when, when the son graduated from college or whatever. He took him under his wing and gave him, you know, a fast track to mm, yeah. taking his place in the family business, basically. Yeah. And so he's clearly never speaking to Jerry anymore. He has utterly disowned him, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think Jerry should be working as like like a janitor or, you know, a librarian or not to denigrate these career choices, but like he's got to be kind of really low on a very low level job now. And like, you mm-hmm. know, he's, he's kind of. I'm thinking of, like, Gil from The Simpsons. Mm. You know, like, the guy who's like, oh, well, oh Gil's yeah. in over his head. Like, like, <laughs> oh, poor Gil. That, poor, poor Gil. I mean, it's, it's that kind of feeling. Like, Jerry is the, the eternal optimist, but he's just, yeah. you know, clearly his life is, he's screwed up his own life with his terrible, terrible decision-making. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be good to step in on him. And also, I think, the, and this is going to be the main plot, is that because Jerry's been working, like, in these low-paid jobs ever since he got out of prison and life hasn't gone too well for him, he's had a lot of time to think and, like, justify it to himself what what happened back in the day. Because mm-hmm. his, his character's, like, such a weasel. And I, I want to, like, really lean into that. So maybe he tells the podcasters, Melissa McCarthy and mm-hmm. Catherine O'Hara, he tells them that actually he was innocent the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and what actually happened was that the criminals blackmailed him they came to him and said look and maybe they kidnapped his wife or something and then forced him to play along ah, i see and this is yeah. actually what yeah. happened he is actually guilty as sin yeah. but he's caught with this whole cockamamie story about how he's innocent mm. and the two women because they're so excited to have a lead mm. you know the part of the case now they really fall for it hook line and sinker so they really start defending him mm-hmm. and then they, they like dig up this case that's been like open and shut that was you know completely closed 22 mm. years ago and they kind of use their podcast which becomes a huge success mm-hmm. to kind of camp and this is going to be the main plot to kind of campaign to reopen the case and clear his name mm-hmm. and potentially even get him his money back mm, okay, and okay. they turn Jerry who's the, this complete weasel into like a figure of sympathy into mm. like a you know a, a wronged man who got caught mm. up in a 
a, cor- a corrupt police officer's, you know, insane quest to close a case. So like, then it, they put Frances McDormand as the bad guy, even though she's not. Mm-hmm. And maybe because she's risen up into like local politics, like it's easier to paint her as a villain. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then the case gets reopened, and they're they're trying to like have Jerry's original conviction withdrawn, and then you can have like a, I, I really want a court case, basically. Yeah. Because again, I think what's the most most accent we can get is if, <laughs> if, if there's like a lawyer and everyone's giving depositions in as a court case. <laughs> so yeah, I'm thinking like they reopened the case and then Marge has to give evidence, you know, and she's obviously going to be nail it because she's mm. brilliant. But yeah, it's mostly going to follow these two podcasters as they, maybe maybe as it goes along, they realise they picked the wrong team and then they have like a moral dilemma to deal with. But yeah, that's ultimately kind of where it's going. I think it's just a, a, a class reunion, whatever happened to the survivors. And then also culminating in a big court case to try and clear Jerry's name, which obviously has to conclude with him failing. It has to conclude with you know, yeah, Marge. Yeah. Marge I'm not. I'm not going to say Margie's a villain like you did. Like <laughs> she's got. She's got. She's got to get a win here. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and maybe the podcast has learned a valuable lesson about you know mm. believing women and believing other women. And mm-hmm. yeah, mm. yeah, so, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. What was it called? That was Fargo Two: Murder in Minnesota. Ooh, that nice. sounds like a good... nice. That sounds like an Agatha Christie. I was I was also thinking like what a true crime podcast might name mm. name might be, and that's you know, murder in Minnesota. Yeah. Good. I just want Melissa McCarthy to do that accent. I feel like it's a no brainer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And maybe there's yeah, a subplot with Jerry trying to reconnect with his son, and the son's just having none of it. Like, mm. yeah, I like that very much. Cool, great. I think we've both come up with fairly doable ideas this week. Yeah. So should we move on to some listener submissions? Okay. Well, most of mine here are just uh, titles, but uh, we'll see. So first one I've got here. Um, Gary Garecki says I think season 1 is a pretty good spiritual sequel that actually carries over a big element from the film I would say season 2 is a pretty good prequel in moments but I understand uh, not a lot of that is A to B I think the characters work so well together and actually a lot of them die so it's just hard to do a sequel or prequel without going too far out of the way fine I said I was sorry <laughs> is, it, is this just all is your section of listener listeners all just going to be raves for the TV show that now of have watched nah nah Frederick Baudet, or Baudet maybe, um, says, make it a mixed sequel with No Country for Old Men. Oh, yeah. Xavier Barden, Barden's character comes back to get the money. A couple of idiots found it and bragged about it. Thugs are also after them. Carnage ensues. Oh, that'd be good. Mm. I mean, you've not seen No Country. I don't know what most of that means, but it yeah. sounds good. Yeah, no, you know Javier Bardem, right, from mm. uh, from the Bond, was it Spectre he was the... Yeah. Skyfall. Skyfall, yeah. So yeah. He plays a, yeah, like a bounty hunter in no country for old man and mm-hmm. he's very intimidating mm. it's very like role he was born to play it's okay, great yeah. Yeah. Sure, you would love sure. that film we'll do it sometime definitely mm. I mean, not right away because we don't want to overdo the Coens but yeah. yeah Caleb McCracken says Fargo 2 back in the habit of pregnancy okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure yep. I feel like Caleb McCracken always does back in the habit but at least he's mixing it up a little bit so <laughs> well keep track of that now Caleb yeah. um, Tom Price says Fargo 2 three cent postage stamp that yeah like that sure maybe that's the whole film but from Norm's perspective mm. just him oh, going through yeah. his like ordinary day and every now and again his wife drops <laughs> these subtle hints that she's having a much more exciting adventure <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean Broussard has just posted the poster of Kamiko the treasure hunter I got that too did you I've never seen it but oh, I've never I've heard, heard of it clearly there's a connection there I'm, right. I'm sorry but we don't know about it yeah it, it, got, it got a love mm-hmm. um, Fargo 2 Twone Twoen McGregor. Oh, because Ewan McGregor's in... Apparently his accent work is terrible. Is I've it? not seen it, but I've heard that his accent Great. work is not good. So yeah, Twoen McGregor. Mm. Uh, Although okay. apparently Martin Freeman, very good. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, they always put British accents in these things. I don't know. Jesse why. Newell says Vargo 2, Electric Boogaloo. I'll have to keep track of that. See if yeah. Jesse Newell is, does that a lot. Mm-hmm. Brian Stafford says Near Stop has the exact opposite plot of Fargo. Oh, I said oh, no, Fargo, Near Stop. It's a pun. Oh, or right. Play yeah. On words, yeah. yeah, got it. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, right. Brian. Well done. Great. That's me done. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, I had some as well. Although I think we've got a, series, a few repeats. So Ollie Brady said, Fargo 2, The Legend of Margie's Gold. Okay. Yeah, I guess The Legend of the Money. But yeah. Ben Batchelet said, Too Far to Go. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rob London said, oh, this is a good one, Son of a Gunderson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Norm Gunderson and his now 23-year-old son are pitted against each other in the federal duck stamp contest. <laughs> that was another good line just a very throwaway but I did like it oh see so you married old Norm son of a gun to something mm-hmm. <laughs> Robbie Daggett said Fargo Mia here we Fargo again <laughs> Scotty Lundegaard refuses to accept that Jerry is his father after all of the terrible things that he did mm. so he goes on a journey to find his real dad sets the music of ABBA <laughs> like it like it Saskia Kiel did a spin on um, Electric Boogaloo but she said at Fargo 2 Electric Woodchipper Ooh. <laughs> Yikes. Jessica Gambling said, This time it's a really deep dive into the world of bird painting. So, a lot of love for, love for Norm in these sequels, which mm. deservedly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ira Ray said, Did anyone already say near stop? Which they did. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, over on Twitter, Cinema Recall at Cinema underscore Recall said, I have one idea for an original sequel. Pain and Gain is Michael Bay's remake or reimagining of Fargo. I did not know that. I've not seen that film. Mm. My sequel will just have Marge going to LA to stop the crimes committed by inept weightlifters. <laughs> so, yeah, Pain and Gain's that Michael Bay film he did in between Transformers that was supposed to be like his serious art film. And I, I'd not seen it, but I know it's about like weightlifting. So, mm. which doesn't sound particularly serious, but who knows? <laughs> That's as serious as easy gets, I guess, Michael Bay. Um, I mean, there can be serious stories in everything. I'm sure, yeah. Maybe it's great. I don't know. Yeah, control weightlifting takes its toll. Oh, I'm sure it does. Yeah, well, you tell me. You clearly do a lot of it. You know, I mean, just like a fork of food <laughs> from the table to my mouth and <laughs> repeat. Yeah. <laughs> a piece of pie pod. A piece of pie pod said the TV series serves as the perfect sequel. Ugh. The, the events of the film are only tangentially related, but just enough, and it all clicks into this really interesting Coen Brothers multiverse. I didn't even know I needed. Fine, I'll watch the TV show. God. <laughs> Uh, and finally, at a nonny mouse said, "Who knew that in 1996 that the, the Coen Brothers were just getting warmed up?" Mm. Which I don't know if that's just a, a comment on the fact that they made so many good films after, or if it's like a pun because it's so cold in Fargo and could could be could, could be, be both. But mm. yeah, I mean it's true they went on to make and continue to make amazing films. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks everybody for those sequel ideas. We ask for your listener submissions every week a few days before we record by posting posts out on Facebook and Twitter where you can post your ideas. So make sure you like and follow our pages if you don't want to miss out. To listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others. And if you really like the show, please do consider leaving us a rating or a review. Five stars or, or only, please. Yes, five stars only, or do not bother. No. Um, as mentioned, we, 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 have, we have an excellent average rating. We have an excellent average rating and very fragile egos. So. Yeah. <laughs> As mentioned before, we are, we are also available on Patreon, which is exclusively for the kind of people who would only rate us five stars or more if they could. So if you belong to that bracket, get on board, support us for as little as $2 a month, and you can access all of the fabulous incentives that Harry outlined in our interval midway through the show. Uh, you can find all those links in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. And next week, are we back to you, Harry? I believe we are. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've got two films in mind, and I can't decide which. 
Is it the two films that you're going to be watching for Two Geeks Two Movies? No. Oh, good. <laughs> no, no, no. Because not... I heard that episode and I was like, oh, okay, I know what Harry's picking next. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do Spartacus. Oh, no, I thought they're the ones after that. Oh, the ones after that. Oh, also, no. Okay, good. Cool. No, no, no. The, uh, b- both of these are good films. Um, both of these contain multiple great actors. Okay. Just good actors. Great actors. Great actors, okay. Um, Horn and Corden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're both in both, yeah. Oh, well. Um no, so, uh, yeah, John, please choose A or B. Interesting, okay. Uh, I will choose B. All right, okay, so we're going to be doing a film starring Tom Hanks. Always a good choice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and many other people, including, I believe, Stanley Tucci and Zoe Saldana and I other people. I don't know what this is. Is this Catch Me If You Can? No. Uh, this is The Terminal. I have not seen The Terminal. Have you heard of it? Yes, yeah, that's the one where he's like a... F- Foreign guy who lives in an airport terminal, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. If you'd said Tom Hanks and Catherine Caesar Jones, I would have got it right away. Is she in that? Isn't she like the second lead after him? Mm. I think she is. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, I might be wrong. Maybe she's not in it. I mean, if she's playing the character, I think I don't think she's actually in it that much. Oh yeah, yeah. She's the second lead according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Yep. And IMDb. Great. So she's. But yeah. she's clearly not the second most memorable for me. Okay. So you. So you. This is a film you've already seen and you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Any particular reason for choosing this? Or just oh, I just thought i doing it. Okay, sure. Yeah. Fair. I've never seen it. I only very tangentially know what it's about, so... I, 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 I think I think it'll be a good one for making sequels too. Okay. Who directed that one? I do not know. Anyone famous? Oh, Spielberg. It's oh, a Spielberg quirky. film. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay. I'm excited to see that. Cool. Okay. Great stuff. Well, join us next week then for The Terminal. Mm. Thanks a lot, guys. See you Bye. next week. Bye. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah.